0: We are narrowing in on the uh, proverbial end of summer here, so I just urge you, make it through this week, and there is a holiday on your horizon, that's wonderful. We're in the book of Ecclesiastes, and uh, despite almost two decades of theological work, I'm Struggling to find it right now in a Bible. If you have a blue Bible, that's going to be on page 476 for you. Page 476 in the blue Bible, or you can feel free uh, to find it on your own device. My name is Steve. I am one of the elders here at Echo. Uh, I've been here since the beginning, too, so it's been a good uh, ride. If you're with us for the first time, we welcome you with us and we invite you to come back. Uh, hope you've had a good time of worship. What we do during this time as a church, we tend to go through the Bible. And right now we're in the midst of the studies on an Old Testament book, the book of Ecclesiastes. And we're right in the middle of this thing. And this is, again, it's like, it's, uh, what do I want to say, uh, ancient Nietzsche. It is just uh, a dive into about the existence of life. So uh, we're going to try to catch everybody up here. But just to begin I need to tell you a little about me. I'm, I'm working toward mid-40s right now, which is an awkward thing. Just because you're hitting that point where you're youthful enough and young enough to at least have some recollection of what it mean, meant to be footloose and fancy free, but at the same time, you're really in the midst of grappling with that, am I becoming an old codger right like i find myself glancing out onto the street just to see what's happening you know within the neighbor stuff cuz i'm like what is that about right like i just want to make sure i have this thing and then i find that i am more triggered now by things than i used to be right like my I, I, even though i'm getting older and i'm supposed to be more mature i still find myself getting angry at what these young people are doing case in point Is I'm okay with selfies. I suck at performing selfies, but I understand this need that we have today to be able to, you know, project what we are doing in the now. Like uh, throughout all my vacations and travels, I travel extensively. I I don't do selfies. I just want to. I'd be like, look, the proof that I was there is that I took the picture, and that should be sufficient enough. Now, what was interesting last year when my family did like the, you know, it wasn't the National Lampoon, but it was the European vacation that we took because we had some friends that uh, were were over in Switzerland so we were over there and we were doing our tourist thing and we would hit to the point where we were at these uh, sites of memorials and like in cemeteries and people would still have their selfie sticks out taking their pictures in front of places where people died and I was like that just seems bizarre doesn't it it's just like hey look here's me and here's a cemetery Like, there are dead people behind me. And, you know, just thinking about that, in light of what we're talking about today, a quick Google revealed, like, I wasn't the only one. And in fact that it's even worse than this. There's a place in Berlin, you know, in the midst of Germany, where there is a Holocaust memorial. And apparently they made this thing beautiful. It has uh, just fields of elevated what would be tombs. If you go over to Jerusalem, they have these, these tombs in which they place the bodies. And they kind of tried to replicate that in the middle of Germany. And yet people could not help themselves to be like, this is a good place the place where we're remembering the millions of Jews who perish, that this would be the great place for me to do my ballet pose, you know, to, to try to, you know, discuss the values of yoga, yoga to, to, to look like a gangsta. Uh, no problem. I don't know if you can see this. You, you see, it just as disturbing. I'll tell you the one I found most disturbing was uh, this one, jumping on dead Jews at the Holocaust memorial. Like that person probably has no social media life left, right? So this type of thing just triggers me, right? Old man Steve just gets lit, and like these young people waving my finger in the sky, and yet I try to pause, and I want to say, and, and stay with me with this exclamation. And I, man, I, I want to be angry, but at the same time, I guess I get it, and if you'll notice, I don't think any of these people in the pictures, I think they're all younger younger people, right? Like, I don't think any of them are are in, in my age bracket, but at the same time, there's this idea that, you know, what we have is that is it maybe proper to be like, in the midst of this death, here are people who are actually living? I don't know. I still don't feel good about it. But it does bring forth this question that we have to grapple with and that the author of the book of Ecclesiastes is continually grappling with because he's asking this question in a public forum. What does it mean to be alive? What is my life for? Why do I exist and how do I interpret this? And yes, as we go through this book this morning, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. The author is dealing with this within the form of Death. What does it mean for life when we are dead? So we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. I'm going to start in verse 1. Again, we are on page 476 in your Blue Bible or digitally find that. Follow along with me. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 1. So I reflected on all of this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no man knows whether love or hates or hate awaits him Now in true typical preacher form, and I promise I didn't design this, but then the way it just came through, I'm going to like alliterative the crap out of this thing so that we will have a framework by which to remember maybe some of what we've talked about today. And the first thing I want to talk about from verse 1 is this concept of dominion. Because what the teacher is trying to say here is like, look, I've looked at everything about life, about world, everything that I can understand and the one truth I keep coming back to is that there's a God here and everything that happens, happens on his watch. Okay, so this person has explored life and say, I do believe that there's some sort of higher power, some deity, some being, and I believe that because that deity and being had to create everything, that we who exist, that everything happens, happens underneath his dominion. Now this is what's interesting at the end of verse 1 right there. If you say the the teacher is saying, look, and that involves a myriad of things that come and in this world you will either be loved or hated. And we would make a mistake if we think that the teacher is trying to say that's what God is trying to determine, right? Like some of us feel like either God, you know, he, he has us and he's hugging us and he's loving us or he's in the midst of repeatedly hitting the smite button to try to punish us. Like some of us have that framework of if my life is good, God loves me. If my life is doing bad, then he's angry with me. And that is the way it exists. But that's not what the teacher is saying right there. He's just saying, look, underneath this canopy of the dominion of God, we live and then we have no determination whether love or hate is going to happen to us. That happens by the things within his creation. Okay, so understanding this idea that we live underneath the dominion of God and we're going to have different experiences right there and they're not interconnected to how special you are, right? You're like, hey, things are going bad for me right now. I'm just going to live it up, maybe do some good deeds, maybe pray a little more and God will be happy with that. Friends, you can still have bad things that happen to you and the same thing works at the vice versa, right? Is that as we are in this world, Things are going to happen to us that are wonderful, we're going to be loved, and then sometimes we're going to be hated. And friends, sometimes you will make the right decision, you will make a bold decision, and you will still receive hate and vitriol. We have to just understand that that's what life is like under the dominion of God. Just a definition of this, a working definition for you, if we're thinking about what the dominion of God is, it is just where the rule of God is exercised. So understanding that God made everything, everything's under his umbrella, but here is the reality that you and I tend to struggle with, is that sometimes good things happen to us and we've been incredibly horrible people. Sometimes bad things come our way and it doesn't mean that we've done anything but lived underneath the obedience of God. There's no correlation because this is a flawed world. We humans have corrupted it. It's full of sin, but it's not like God is just gone on siesta. He is understanding our plight, and he sees the bigger picture. What's the bigger picture? Verses 2 and 3, my friends, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, 2 and 3. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good man, so with the sinner, And as it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. Verse 3. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live. And afterward, they join the dead. That is the reality, friends. My second D of the day is death. And this is what happens when you start to get introspective about where you fit into the world. When you're trying to place this, eventually you get to this recognition that I will not always live. It's this, my favorite statistic that I have. But one out of every one people die. We are all on this path there. And that is something that is not reserved even if, you know, just for the bad people, right? Billy Joel immortalizes. This is a, only the good die young, but the reality is, is they all be dead. It will happen. To you and to I we will die. That was rhyming on the fly. Pretty good for this guy. I have an eye. Here's Here's the reality that the the teacher is trying to say is that, look, you can think this thing any which way, but we are all going to die. It doesn't matter if you've lived exemplary or if you've been a horrible, horrible person. None of us can escape that. And I look to the wisdom of Bill and Ted and their bogus journey, which I know now is just completely outdating some of this. This was Keanu Reeves before he was like a cool badass star, but he, it, it's this, it was a quote from the Grim Reaper in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, where the Grim Reaper says, you might be a king or a little street sweeper, but sooner or later, you dance with the Reaper. Friends, death has no respect of who you are and where you've been, and at some point, we all arrive there. Okay, and what is interesting for us humans then is how we interact with this. Just in the last 24 hours, I have been incredibly fascinated because of the death of John McCain, former senator, former prisoner of war in Vietnam, and former presidential candidate. And I remember, you know, almost the 10 years ago when he ran against Barack Obama, how hatred, how people hated, and they criticized him, and he would look the wrong way, and they said, you're just horrible, John McCain, but once the dude dies, they're like, true American hero, great patriot, a man among men, and you're like, why does this happen? Because friends, once we die, the whole narrative changes right? Like, we live in the here and the now, and we're so focused on things, and we love to critique it, but friends, it's like, once we're dead, that's it. There's no more to be written, and for some reason, at that point, it's like, we develop this higher level of respect, right? And that's why when we see people disrespecting memorials to the dead, we get angry because it's like, do you not realize what that's about? And we don't realize is that when people are alive, we just we want to throw hand grenades at them and critique them and treat them horribly because it's the here and the now. But it's like once you're dead, there's that separation. You know why? I think that's part of our mortality. I think it's our understanding is that you know what? Someday I'm going to be dead. And what's that going to mean to me? like In my life and who I've been And what I've been trying to do in this world. Now this is the thing. Just putting all this in the picture because it's what bothers us. Is that if we're under the dominion of God. And God really loves us. Then what's he doing about letting us go through this horrible experience. The termination of our existence. And the scriptures tell us. That it is not that God cherishes this idea that we're all going to die. And in fact... He is actively working and moving to ensure that we understand the perspective. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the apostle writes, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, his son understands slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So this is not that God is in a hurry to kill you off. He wants your narrative elongated. Why? Because he wants people to have the opportunity to come to an understanding of who he is and how our death shows our relationship to God. We live under his dominion. It was sin that brought death into the world that limited to it, but at the same time, God is not just empowering the sin. He is actively involved through the work of Christ to try to let us see how he is working throughout eternity. Now, moving on, and this is where it gets really interesting. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verses 4 through 6. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have part in anything that happens under the sun. Friends, my third D for you today is dogs. And if you're looking for a great, if you're the underliner in your Bible, that memory verse, you got to come in to Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 4, where it says even a live dog is better than a dead lion. Friends, that is the wisdom of the ages right there. Let's add some context and some coloring of some flavor to this. So what the teacher is saying? Look, we're all gonna die, right? And then he's talking about lions and dogs. What's the issue here? Well, first we have to remove ourselves from our American context, where everybody loves a doggo, right? Like we love our little puppy. How many of y'all dog people? You know, you can say it. You like, look, I'm the dog people. I love my little doggy. How many of you clothe your dogs? <laughs> Problems. <laughs> There's something in the Bible that's against that. I think maybe it's this verse. But for us to understand what this verse means is this, is that back 3,000 years ago when this was written, uh, dogs' friends were not man's best friends. Dogs were the greatest annoyance in the crowd. In fact, dogs were known as scavengers in this area. They were not domesticated, and as such, if your village had dogs, you would kick the dog, and you're like, oh, that's horrible, because friends, the dogs would eat your food, it would get into your stuff. The dogs were scavenger and trying to find ways to stay alive. Okay, dogs were reviled 3,000 years ago. That just shows how far we've come, right? You just credit the internet, I guess. I don't know. Everything's good because of the internet. But just this idea is now we have doggos, but understand is that really... Few of us don't use them for work purposes. We just love them because they bring happiness and life to us, right? Like dogs are great, but in this context, dogs were not respected, but you know who were lions. So it's not like don't don't like get the wrong idea. It's not like everybody had a pet lion back in the ancient world, you know, like which would be awesome too, by the way. I think they would eat a lot, but I would really want a pet lion more than a pet dog. I'm just saying if you're dog people, become lion people. Here's the thing though, too. The lion was this majestic creature. Creature, right? It's muscular, powerful. You know, all throughout the uh, uh, scriptures, lions are elevated as to being this majestic, beautiful, regal creature. And what we see here in the scripture is this: is that look, you can take a dog and a lion, and that day you might be like lion over dog every day of the week, right? Like that might be the argument. However, if you take a dead lion and I'm not saying don't kill the lion, but let's say the lion died of natural causes. If you take dead lion and living scavenger dog, the teacher is saying being the dog is better than being the lion because the dog is alive. This is biblical wisdom, people, and I'm surprised none of you are writing this down. But the point is, is that, look, what the Bible is trying to say, very simple, is like, if wait, we're all going to die? Being alive is better than being dead. Again, biblical wisdom for you. Being alive is better than being dead. Why? Because you're alive and you're not dead. Because when you're alive, you can still do things that you can do when you are not dead. Pause for effect, because that's just biblical knowledge on you. Because here, I think, is the bigger picture that the teacher is trying to say. It's like, look, when you are alive, you're not dead. And in doing so, you have to have this recognition of, I'm doing pretty good for myself. Right? Like, none of us are in a tomb right now. None of us are buried. Therefore, we are one up on that. Here's the tension that the teacher introduces right here, though. And the issue is one with which we grapple with all the time. That the problem, then, between us and the live dog is this. Is that we have a recognition that we could one day be dead. That because of our minds, we know more than dogs. So I'm telling you, this is just wisdom of the ages. Why do you love your dog so much? It could be this your dog is a simpleton, and you're like, don't start, Steve. Like, do not talk about my dog in such a way, but help me out, because I've even read about this concept that there's a, they're like, you know, there is a thing called doggy depression. I don't know if it's doggy depression per se. It's usually just that some owner was just abusive to their animal, and that affects the mindset of it. But friends, the thing about pets that we love is that their affection is so cheap, isn't it? It's so easy. Like, that's why you loves your dogs. Just last year, we incorporated for the first time in our familial life, a pet. We have this rabbit, and the rabbit is so interesting, right? Because the rabbit, it will not bark, you know, it does not really make a sound, except when you, you know, it it like snorts a little every once in a while, when it's ticked. But at the same time, no matter how much I have to discipline that rabbit, and there is such a thing as rabbit discipline, that's my next sermon. But the next day, if I have some leaves that I throw at that thing, that thing loves me, right? I could just sit there all day and feed that sucker, and that rabbit would be like, you're awesome. And then when I stop feeding it, the rabbit's like, you suck. It's the same thing about our animals, right? When you're petting that, you're like, cats suck. When you're petting that cat and it's purring, you're like, this is great. You know, if you're helping the cat, that's great. When you squirt water on it, it hates you. Because there's a simplicity here about animals, friends. The wisdom of David Duchovny, by the way, uh, oh, I have the picture. David Duchovny, right, of X-Files fame, writes, I loves me some dogs. They live in the moment and don't care about anything except affection and food. And they're loyal and happy. And humans are just too dang complicated, right? Like, that's the issue, friends, is that the reason why we see this in the animal kingdom that's important is that, friends, the, animals live in the now. You and I have a problem is that we can see and process and understand and protect." project toward this time where we will be dead. Yeah, animals might have survival instincts that keep them from wanting to die, but you never, you know, when your dog is just looking up in the sky, it's probably looking at a squirrel and not contemplating its long-term existence. But that's what you and I have to grapple with. Our existence as humans mean we grapple with our existence and the possibility of death. Can I pause in the middle of this to show a video clip? And this is you know, it might be out of nowhere, but it, I think it's one that kind of uh, really wraps this up for me. So the television series Scrubs uh, off the air. I'm, I'm a big Scrubs guy, guy, and we were just I was talking to Rob before the sermon when he saw the, the this this uh, clip I'm going to show. And the reason I like Scrubs is that number one, it takes place in a hospital. And, and, you know, hospitals are these places where, like, there's no, brevi- there's no levity at all, and yet they find a way to just make it funny, right? So it's this comedy series in a hospital, but at the same time, every once in a while, the writers would come in and be like, this is a hospital, and horrible things happen. So one of the episodes that I find just really touching is that the, the two main doctors in it, they're talking with a guy who's really affable, but he has uh, heart disease, he is, he is in the midst of death. He's like, but I feel fine, but it's like, no, your body is going to shut down, and you will not live much longer. So in the midst of this, like, okay, what does that mean to me? They sneak him a beer because they're like, you can't have beer because you're in a hospital, and he's just like, I just want one last beer. They sneak him a beer, so they're just sitting around and talking. And it's a little elongated, but can we just peer in on this conversation for a little bit? So, um, and I think, Blake, you got my sound for it, but we'll try to get this. No. No, I know what you guys are trying to do. I just can't get over the fact that one man I'm here and the next I'm not. And that's when Turk and I told George how we really felt. George, I'm terrified of dying. Me too. And why'd you lie? We fight death for a living every single day. We can't let it know we're afraid of it or it'll kick our ass. There we are. Everybody's scared. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, well, then what in the hell do I have to hope for? Well, if it were me, I would just hope that my last thought was a good one. Wait, well, what that's it? That's it. You thought that was deep? That was, that, that wasn't deep. I'm sorry. I'm over here dying. That's all, that's all you can come up with. <laughs> <laughs> Turk and I spent the next few hours in that room just talking and hanging with George. When Turk and I were in college, we were roommates. Love of mine, someday you will die, but I'll be close behind. I'll follow you into the dark, the blinding light. To gates of white, just our hands clasped so tight, waiting for the hint of a spark. If heaven and hell decide that they both are satisfied, illuminate uh, the nose, uh, they can see signs. I'm gonna look tired. One beside you, okay, well, take a quick nap. You had to be here when I wake up. Of course. In Catholic school, hey, hey, man. Mm-hmm. That beer tasted great. George never did wake up. And even all that talking didn't make death any easier. At least not for us. Maybe in the end, all you can really hope for... Is that your last thought is a nice one. That they both are satisfied. The problem that we have as human beings is that we're cognizant of what is to come. Now, if the teacher in the scriptures just left it within, it's like, you are all going to die. Just come to grips with it. Then that would probably be difficult for us to deal with. But the blessing that we have is that not just here in Ecclesiastes, but throughout the Bible... The scripture writers just don't say death awaits us all, but this is how we should grapple with it. It gives us the hope. Will you read along in verses 7 to 10 of Ecclesiastes 9 with me? Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favors what you do. Always be clothed in white, and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life, and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for in the grave where you are going... There is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. Friends, I'm going to offer you today that in light of death, we have the opportunity to make a decision how we will view it. And that is what the writer of Ecclesiastes does here. You might miss it within the nuance of the conversation, but I think it's really important here because you're like, here's that teacher again. And if you've been with us through Ecclesiastes or if you read it, he's just like, look, everything in life is meaningless. It's all meaningless. It's hopeless, right? It's niche for the ancient soul. What are you doing right here? None of this makes sense. However, friends, notice that in saying we're all going to end up dead, the teacher says this is the path that you ought to take. And the path is enjoy every day of your meaningless life. I want to say this again for for emphasis here. Enjoy every day of your meaningless life. Because really what he's trying to say is that it's meaningless underneath the terms that we apply to it, unless we view it as that each day is this opportunity for us to live just beautifully and immaculately in what God has provided. So the challenge then, when we see death coming, is not to fixate on death, but to live life like God called us. Right here, just random there in verse, I love it, in verse 8. Is something nuanced that we might lift but that we might overlook, but it says, be clothed in white. Why does the author say that? Because that is the antithesis of the clothing of mourning. When somebody dies, we were black. And we drape black on everything because we see that as an acknowledgement that life is gone. But the writer says here, be clothed in white, which is the opposite of that, which is just lean into living. And do your best with what God has given you. He's given you opportunities, and therefore, you and I ought to live lives where we enjoy what God has given us. Friends, the word of the Lord for you when it comes to this topic is enjoy your life. Live it up. Now, some of you really need to hear that, and some of you are like, maybe you need to contemplate death a little bit more because you're living it up a little too much, but play in the tension there and find the challenge of what it means to exist. Not that we're fixating on death here, but it's very interesting. There was this Australian hospice nurse, her name was uh, Bronnie Ware, wrote a book, The Top Five Thoughts of the Dying. And she had taken all of her years working in hospice care with people who were terminal, and she like would record the concepts that they would talk about in this point. And the five things that those people said at the end of their lives, when they knew death was there, was this. I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life that others expected of me. She said this was one that almost every single man who came in said at some point, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. I wish I'd let myself be happier. I put that up there because I think that's a good challenge for those of us in the land of the living, correct? Is what are you doing now? Yeah, something is going to befall all of us all. It's going to be just the end. But at the end, friends, it's not going to matter, right? We shall be worm food. That's it. What, what about now? How are you viewing the life that God has given you now in view of that? Are you living this way? Friends, unfortunately, I see some of you on the social media, and as much as I get triggered being the old crotchety old man, some of you are that way too. And you got to let that go. There's so much critique that we can launch in this world, especially now that we have the digital means so that we have a voice. But who cares about criticizing stuff when it's just like, why can't I fixate and focus on my life now and trying to say, I'm going to make this the best ride possible? You know, and again, not just for me, right? It's not this, this isn't a treat yourself speech. This is a, why can't I make the world around me a better place? Because death is coming, and therefore, when I'm in that grave, people are going to be like, you know what, Steve was a some of them, but man, that guy had life. we had a good time. Why can't we look back and say life? The, the, the word of the Lord today is that we have to live life to its fullest because death's a coming, people. So what are you doing now? How are you living life to your fullest? How are you enjoying the gift of life that God grants you under his dominion? Friends, do we need to look at the lion carcass down the street and be like, I'd rather be a living dog. How are you a living dog today, Friends? How are you living in this existence where we know what befalls us, but we have a chance to make a difference? This so my challenge to you today. Lighten up. By the way, anybody have stress in the audience today? I will, last point of audience participation. Is anybody's mind thinking of any stressful situation or moment that you have coming your way in the next weeks to come? You're like, I shall not raise my hand, but I, if you don't, God bless you. You're a better human being than the rest of us. And then you actually have to deal with your honesty and we'll talk about that later. We all have stresses. We all have things that are horrible and then our, uh, our, our posture sometimes is to get down to see the negative. But I'm telling you, even in a conversation about death, what God is trying to tell you to do is live it, to your fullest. And this isn't just this Old Testament coping mechanism that the Bible says, right? Like, this isn't just Old Testament knowledge, but it is consistent all the way through the scriptures, what God wants from you, is to be able to live a full life of happiness so that there's some significance here. The Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 3 gives you this counsel. Whatever you do, Whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Friends, you have an assignment this week, and you have a life to live, that Jesus Christ is asking you to go out there and live life fully for him. You got some crap jobs ahead of you, right? It's not going to be easy or nimble, and you could get mired in that negativity, But an end is coming, and therefore, in light of that, give it all as if you're serving Jesus himself. you got to work, buddy, this week. It's Jesus. He's right there with you, right? Why can't you revel in the greatness that the Son of God loves you so much that he laid down everything for you, that he took the hit of debt for us, so that someday we can dwell with him for eternity, Right? So that eternity is coming but this week he's calling you to live to your fullest. So as we leave here today and we go scattered to the winds and you have a lot of obligations and things you're going to get back to, just this week take that with you. Be positive. Live to the fullest. Yeah an end's coming but Jesus has been there before. He's got you. He's got you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, it can be difficult when we think of death. We've lost loved ones. Some of us have faced death ourselves. It's harrowing. And again, the problem that we have is this finality that we can't perceive. But your scriptures testify over and over that you have a place prepared for us. And Father, while that gives us the hope, please forgive us. When we latch too much onto the hope of what's to come and we don't live in the now, forgive us to where we've not lived life to the fullest. And Father, as we go out this week, we ask that your Spirit empower us to live each day to its fullest. We only have so many days, Father. Help us make the most of them, not just for our pleasure. But for you, for your kingdom. Thank you for Jesus in his name. Amen.